Let's get started. Uh, you should have your white sheet in front of you, which uh, we're going to review just a little bit and push forward. Uh, it says the introit at the uh, top of it. The introit. Uh, as they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant, the, the uh, presence of God as he came to the temple, uh, so also it says in David, first delivered this psalm into the hand of Asaph and his brethren to thank the Lord. And so the psalms of the Old Testament is, are the prayer book of the Old Testament. And as they were receiving Christ coming to them, uh, they were singing the psalms. So give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing psalms to him, talk of his wondrous works. Sing to the Lord all the earth, proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. We pull out the psalms and use them, not only... Uh, daily in our in our prayers as you pull out the New Testament songbook, uh, but also in our divine service uh, as it is included with the introit. Uh, the story is that as the sun is is coming up, it's time for worship to begin, and uh, you didn't uh, have the uh, snooze button or the electronic <laughs> alarm uh, to get things going. So what you did was you started with uh, the monks chanting the psalms as they would go up and down the, you might say, dormitory, if you will, and making their way over to the church. And so this was the entrance, the uh, beginning the call to worship was not necessarily a, a bell of sorts, as so much it was the uh, chanting of the psalms and coming with that, and so they would uh, join with it. I've included a uh, brochure. Uh, we've talked about the invocation and confession. With the introit, this is the entrance, the beginning, beginning with the uh, chanting of the psalms, the entrance into into worship. And it would appear that there is uh, a progress with, we're going to be taking a look, introit, curiae, gloria, uh, colic, and the readings. The word is kind of the first Part that is service of the word. Uh, then there is after the sermon and the preaching on the word. Then there is the praise that leads to the reception of the sacrament, and after that, uh, simply a dismissal or a, a, a leaving. And so this is the beginning, uh, the entrance uh, with those psalms. When Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to those disciples that were going to Emmaus, calling them back. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Jesus takes those two aside, and you might remember they said, Well, you know, we thought Jesus was going to be the one, but... Now they've crucified him, and we think it's all over, so we're leaving. And Jesus reveals himself to them and calls them back and says to them, Don't you realize it was all written? It's all there. And so he goes back to the scriptures, the Old Testament, that said, Everything that is there is about me. And this in particular says to us, not only the first five books of Moses, not only the books of the major and the minor prophets, but even the Psalms are all hymns, they're all teaching that uh, is about me. I find that chanting a psalm, um, maybe throughout the week, 
uh, you, you get the psalm out on Monday and you chant it, and you kind of go, well, all right, it's, it's appointed. We'll do it again tomorrow, you know. Um, usually by about Wednesday, about the third time through, you start to notice things in that psalm. And uh, it, they're not all the same, and it's not, and, and it's beginning to explain to you things that you're learning about, and it's teaching. In fact, the more familiar you get with the song, the more you can appreciate what is there. We have the exact same thing with our our hymnity uh, as well. Well, so we pick up these songs, we use them uh, in the in the introit. I think I mentioned below the usual order of the introit is there's one particular verse that sets the theme for the psalm, what what we're looking for in the psalm, what we're thinking about as we go through this psalm. Uh, it might be a Christmas kind of theme. It may be a prayer kind of theme. But it always makes us think about, oh, yeah, that's what this is about. Um, I remember there was, it's been a while, uh, it was somewhere in about July, and uh, I picked a Christmas hymn. Popped up on the thing. Leanne goes, uh, Pastor, um, it's July. Um, so that, that's from the Christmas section. Um, did, did you want that on the Christmas? Did, is that what you wanted? Sometimes yeah. things do appear that. <laughs> you know, I, I hardly ever make mistakes. <laughs> never lies either. <laughs> and I never lie. Right. Um, and so you, you go, well, what about that? Um, and yeah, it's pretty common, those, those things happen. Um, but if you sing one of those hymns in a different context, you notice different things. You see different things that go with it. So that's what the antiphon always does. By putting it before and by putting it after, it directs my attention to what I'm, I'm looking for. So that's what it does. Uh, then there is the psalm, and sometimes it's only a couple verses, but then you have the psalm itself. And then there's this thing, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You ever looked that up in the scripture? It's not in the Psalms, but every Psalm that we do in worship, we always add that to the end of it. Um, in fact, we even add it to the end of some of our canticles, some of our songs that are in the service, and like some of them have it, but some of them do not. You know why some of our songs have it and some of them don't? Because the canticles that are from the Psalms have it. And if it's a canticle that doesn't, like the Glory and Excelsis, it's not directly from the Psalm, well, it's not there. But the Create in Me, that's from Psalm 51. Yep, that's going to have it. Why do we always include this glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever? Amen. Why do we include that? Whenever we chant a psalm, whether it's in the introit or whether it's in the offertory or whether it's in the... Why do we do that? We're giving thanks and recognizing where those gifts we just sang came from. Sang about, sang Yes, absolutely, that these things that are written came from our, from our God. Well, I'm just going to see those verses up there. We've got in Romans, at the end of that, to God, long lives be glory through Jesus Christ, amen, as part of our prayers. And Ephesians and Philippians, well, all of them, actually. We're, all, we're, we're talking about the whole Godhead. We are. We're reminding ourselves what, who our God is. 
And, and again and again, it does speak about, now to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations. Now to God our Father be glory forever. This glory be to them is a praise of God and praise to him. Uh, I'm quite uh, aware that often the praise songs in your contemporary worship and and things of that sort, um, they will simply pull out a couple of stanzas from a song. Uh, the, The song might be, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, and then we could do that ten times in a row, and, and we could continue to do that. Or you can put that up on a uh, church sign, um, or you can kind of refer to it. It's kind of a way to be kind of generic. You know, I, I, uh, um, someone, uh, uh, we've... we've we're already in a uh, uh, presidential uh, uh, debate season and, and something like this. Um, uh, we have a unique uh, a situation uh, in which there is a, uh, a Hindu that is, that is running. Um, he made the remark uh, at one point uh, that he said, Listen, uh, God is real. He is true. You know, I, I believe that that there is uh, uh, that, that God exists, and we shouldn't be afraid to speak of this in you know even in public discourse and 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 all and and then you hear everybody go oh yeah finally we got someone you know um, and uh, uh, you can almost hear a, 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 a small voice and which God is that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Hmm, there is a God. Oh, you know, we, we've kind of gotten used to, in fact, we, we've, we've, we've covered over, um, we, we call it Judeo-Christian ethics. Judeo, what does that mean, Judeo-Christian? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Rachel doesn't think that means a blasted thing. Um, Judeo is Jewish. All right, so the Jewish God, well, now, wait a minute. I mean, if we're talking about, are we talking about today's Jew, you know, in which I would say, oh, you're talking about the Father, Son, Holy Spirit? Oh, no. Well, wait a minute. So, what you're talking about is not the same God as what I'm talking about. And definitely, we're talking about a Hindu god or a Muslim god or, or, or whatever. Um, as we go through the Old Testament and as we sing praise to the Lord, what Lord are we talking about? In the Christian church, we always add glory be to the Father and to the Son and the Holy Spirit. And to the... We're talking about the triune God. In other words, the Christian church grabs the Old Testament and says, that's what we're talking about. That's why we always add the glory of pottery, so that you know that we're professing that the entire Old Testament is talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As Jesus says, they all testify about me. That's why that glory of pottery is included in the, uh, in the church, so that we might not be generic, like, oh, well, just any God, or we're just going to pull it out. No, no, no. That is the God we're talking about. Um, that that is in there. Um, we are given thanks to the holy name of the Trinity. So that's why it is always included in there. We call it, as I mentioned uh, in here, the lesser doxology. Um, it's a doxological. It's a praise, um, but it's included uh, with that. I think it's important here I I realize why you're making a big deal out of this because every year well maybe it's not every year maybe you don't even get them anymore either every year or every two years the pastor gets invited to Springfield 
to have a prayer when the when the when the con the state congress meets. The only thing that's banned in that prayer is talking about the Trinity. You can't talk about the Trinity. Now, what does that tell us? In the public discourse, we have to make a distinction here between church and the public discourse. I'm really afraid when I hear a, 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 a politician start talking about God, or when I hear a Christian start talking about putting prayer back in school. That's what I always what God Because what does that say? In the public discourse, if you have prayer in school, there's no control over who controls the prayer. In the Pledge of Allegiance, one nation under God, that was put in there by the evangelicals for the purpose of unifying our country. But in reality, they didn't even recognize what they were doing. Because as soon as you say one nation under God, indivisible, you contradicted yourself. Because when you start talking about God, you have an automatic contradiction. Which one? And the church today is in glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God. That's the that that's there there is a reason for this. Go to page sixty seven, get your uh hymnal out, your supplement. Go to page sixty seven. You've heard me say before that there are two parts to the liturgy. There is the ordinaries, the things that ordinarily happen, they are fixed, we do them the same every time. Things like the Nicene Creed, the Confession, the Lord's Prayer, we don't vary it, it's the same. There are some things that are proper, they they change from Sunday to Sunday, they go with a theme, they teach concerning this. What we find is that most of the time when I talk about this, I talk about the collect. It collects the thoughts of the day into one prayer, and that's very true. But the other propers all fit together with this. So the readings, they change from Sunday to Sunday. The collect changes. The introit changes. And again, if the antiphon, which goes with the psalm, is going to teach us about what the theme is... They're going to change with that. As it does that, what we found is that the names of the Sundays usually come from the very first words of the introit or their antiphon. I had you turn to page 67. Particularly, this is true in the Lenten season. And so, page 67, up at the top, it talks about the first Sunday in Lent, but it gives you the Latin invocavit, from which we have invo, invoco, invoco, ah, call upon, uh, look at this, go down to the introit, the antiphon is, he shall call upon me. That's the very first word in Latin, so that's why this is the call upon God Sunday. Um, and you can see that already from the introit. Turn the page. I'm going to skip over the Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. Go to page 71. The second Sunday in Lent uh, has the Latin name Reminiscere. Uh, reminiscing, as you can see, go down to the antiphon. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and love. This is remember. So I've called upon God. Now with the second Sunday, I'm going to ask God to remember me. Uh, remember his promises, his tender mercy, his love. Turn the page. Third Sunday in Lent is Okuli. Akula, your eye. Mine eyes are ever towards the Lord. He shall pluck my feet out of the net. And so you can see it comes from the... Uh, Antiphon that precedes the introit. 
the next one is Lytare, the fourth Sunday in Lent. Uh, Lytare is to rejoice, to rejoice in the Lord, to rejoice with Jerusalem. Uh, turn the page. Judica, from which we get, judge me, O God, judge me according to your forgiveness, according to what you did through your son, not according to what I have done. And so you begin to see how these names of the Sundays usually, and in, in, uh, in uh, Lent, uh, they're, they're, they're highlighted. Let's go on over to 14, page 111. Today is Trinity 14, the 14th Sunday after Trinity, page 111. (coughs) Let's put it together. The reading for this morning is from Luke 17. What's it about? It's about ten lepers who come to Jesus. They cry out uh, to him, Jesus, Master, have mercy. He tells them to go show themselves to the priest. As they go, they are cleansed. What happens? Only one of them returns, glorifies God, gives him thanks. We find out he's a Samaritan. Jesus wants to know, where are the other nine? He tells that one who had returned uh, that uh, he is forgiven. He may go in peace. Uh, That's the reading. That's kind of the the gospel reading always always sets the stage uh, for this. We see with the Antiphon, page 111, Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. So, we're asking, we're crying out, uh, Behold, uh, um, take a look, God, uh, over here, over here, God, we call him, O God, our shield, the one who shields us, the one who protects us. We're talking about defense now. And we want him to look upon the anointed one, the face of thine anointed. Who is that? Who is that? That's Christ. He's the one who has been set apart. He has been anointed with the Holy Spirit. Look upon your son, uh, what he has done for us, O God, and in that way you will protect us. And then it says, for a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. Hmm. Connection? With the reading? What? Being healed? One comes back to do what? To praise God. One comes back to... Ten are healed. How many come to church? One, it's better to be in God's house, in thy courts, just one day in your church is better than a thousand days outside. All of a sudden we are echoing, wait a minute, we, we're with that one, we're with that Samaritan, we're like him. I, I, what, oh, I get to go back, I get to be with God, I get to thank him, absolutely. Let's go on, let's go on, that's just the antiphon that kind of steps it. How amiable, how good, how uh, uh, loving are your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts, my soul, long as ye even fainteth for the courts of the, Lord, of the Lord. I want to be there. And so we see already with the psalm and the introit that we're professing, yes, we want to be back with you. The collect continues to set the theme. Oops. Keep, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy church, with thy perpetual mercy. All right, so now there's, a, with, usually with these, there's like a theme, and then there's usually like a, uh, a secondary theme. Um, uh, it, it's, it's as if uh, they rotate around each other, okay? Like a, like a rubber band that kind of goes with it. So if, if the one theme is, I want to be in your court. I want to hear your word. I want to give you thanks. I want to be with you. The secondary theme we already saw with the Antiphon, uh, which was about protection, defense. We beseech you that uh, keep thy church with thy perpetual mercy. Keep us 
in your mercy. And because of the frailty of man without thee cannot but fall, keep us ever by thy help from all hurtful things and lead us to all things profitable to our salvation. What are we concerned about? Being like the ones that don't return. And, and what terrible things were they doing? Not glorifying God. We do that all the time. They were, they were going to their house. They were going, you know, they, they got their health back, so they're, they're, they're going about their day, they're going back home, they, they, they've been gone for so long, is that a terrible thing? At the very least, it's been a, a sin, or the sins of omission. <laughs> we, what do we realize? We're very, we've got frailty. We can't even keep ourselves in this. You know, uh, we would quickly fall away from this. And so we ask him to keep us from hurtful things. Hurtful things. They're not bad things, but they can get in the way. Keep me, you know, help me so that my boat doesn't keep me away from God. Help me so that my soccer doesn't keep me away from God. Help me so that my own family doesn't keep me away from being with with the Lord, the hurtful things, and lead me to things that are good, that are profitable for this. By myself, I would easily fail. I would be just like, look at that, 9 out of 10. This isn't good odds, guys. So what are we, we're praying, keep us with your mercy, continue to fail. As I fail, keep bringing me back. Brian? So I love that it doesn't say be like mercy, it says perpetual mercy, needed ongoing all the yeah. time, forever. <laughs> Um, that's that's one of my lead-ins to the uh, uh, to the curier, which we got to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What about this? Do we ever get done with this? Yeah, we're, we're not. Um, we realize our situation, which never fails. Um, you never get to. Okay, I, I've been a Christian ten years. I got this. No problem. Um, no, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen that way. Um, so anyway, we're beginning to see uh, as it goes through, and again, I'm pulling off of the introit and the antiphon, and it's a proper, and it's going to teach us about. So we, we've got already for the fourth Sunday. Uh, let me pull that one up, uh, aside. Kyrie. Any questions? <coughs> Kyrie. The Kyrie is simply the Greek word Lord. Eleazar is the Greek word for to have mercy. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Um, there's a lot of history that goes with this. Uh, it would appear, as we're going to take a look at already during the Old Testament, as well as at the time of Christ, that you see this cry for mercy is continually in the words of the church. It's continually on our lips as we are crying out to God for these things. Um, Reads uh, uh, goes through a history uh, in in his Lutheran liturgy. You might remember he had a first edition and a second edition. For some reason, he goes through, I don't know, eight pages of trying to let us know about not only how it has changed over the years, which, which, okay, at some points there was a threefold curie, Lord of mercy, Christ of mercy, Lord of mercy. Um, let's see here, the, oh, I don't know if I have, yeah, um, this is the 1888 Common Service book in which it has the pastor says, Lord have mercy upon us, the people say, Lord, have mercy upon us. The pastor says, Christ, have mercy upon us. The response is, Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. You can kind of say, okay, well, that's like sixfold. Um, during Gre- uh, Gregory the Great, there was a ninefold in which you had one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. It was kind of like the Trinity squared um, uh, went through. Uh, often in litanies, in prayers, they would have uh, a, a prayer to God. And then the people would say, Lord, have mercy. You know, similar to, let us pray to the Lord. 
Lord have mercy. They're, they're, they're crying out. You see this in uh, Luther's. You know the one that we use on Good Friday and on Ash Wednesday, which is chanted, would include that. We also have uh, various hymns, uh, especially the one that, that has the Ten Commandments at the end of each line. Lord have, have mercy. Of course there is that. But for some reason, Reed wants to go through about eight pages of this to say, it's really not about forgiveness. <laughs> and I go, well, it, it, I, if you're just saying to me, now look, Psalm 41 verse 4 says, Lord, be merciful to me, heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. Of course, that mercy is asking for forgiveness. Directly, That's exactly what it's asking for. Or Psalm 51, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the most of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Those are my sins. Mercy is to take that away. So Psalm 41 and Psalm 51, are they asking for forgiveness when they ask for mercy? Absolutely. Now, some of these others, is, you know, do you say it's, it's just forgiveness he's asking for? Well... No, it's not. But, why am I making such a big deal that it's not forgiveness? Because if if I earned it, I wouldn't need mercy. You can't ask for mercy without there being an unworthy forgiveness that goes with every aspect of it. So when we get to the ten lepers this morning, and they come before uh, uh, Christ, and they cry out, Lord, have mercy upon us. My question is, what are they asking for? For physical healing. They got leprosy. Of course that's what they're asking. Does forgiveness figure into this? They're asking for faith. Right. So they're not coming saying, hey, you got to give me for you got to give me healing. There comes saying, I really don't deserve anything. I'm coming asking for healing from my leprosy. But when I ask it in the terms of mercy, I'm telling you, I don't deserve it. Why? Because I've got sins. So it, it, they go together. Of course they go together. Um, everyone, you know, Christians always, and so when Brian talked about the perpetual mercy, you know, you never get done with it. You never go, okay, check the box, we got mercy down, now let's go on to do something else. We're always continually in, yes, continue to give me, and in everything I ask, there's a perpetual mercy. Watch this. Isaiah, he is uh, uh, given a vision of heaven. He comes before and the Lord comes to him. And uh, once he sees the Lord, Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. The prophet Isaiah comes before God, and he goes, Whoa, whoa, I just thought God, I, I, uh, um, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Why? Because you're never done. In fact, the more you get into the presence of the Lord, the more we realize it's not that you go, okay, I left the world. Now that I got into the church, I'm, I'm behind. No. What about Simon Peter? Luke 5, 8. When Simon Peter, ah, put out your boat. Simon Peter goes, well, I'll do it. But, you know, you don't know anything about fishing. And we're not going to catch any, even if we do. What happens is he realizes that it's the Lord. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Simon Peter was sinful before. The great thing is that now he realizes it. And so you already see him falling down, you know, needing mercy, both the prophet and the apostle. Now, if... If you, if you have sinned, if you have broken, uh, you've broken the, uh, the laws of this land and you are taken into court and you have been uh, uh, found guilty of, of breaking the laws and you ask the judge for mercy, 
I plead on the mercy of the court. Right? You're wanting what? Please don't give me what I deserve. Please don't give me what I deserve. I, I broke the law. There are punishments that go with this. I'm, I'm here asking for mercy. You kind of get it? You're going to get mercy from me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't look too... See if it goes, you know, what do you mean? It's, it, it's, it might, might, it might, it, that doesn't sound it, like, like pretty good odds. Yeah. yeah, um, this is definitely not sure. Um, does this happen very often? I, I don't know, but, but we're, we're definitely going, oh, this is kind of an iffy thing. Um, watch this, Hebrews 4.16. Let us, talking about Christians, let let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The throne of grace is always a description of the uh, suffering and death of Christ who is taken away. That is where we go. We go to the throne of grace where graciousness is being given out. Um, it's not simply saying just go to God, but go to where his throne of grace is that we may obtain (coughs) mercy. Mercy. When you come before God and you ask for mercy, now Cecil... Don't get <laughs> what, what's the change? All of a sudden, now you're pretty sure about. I mean, you're you're confident. Well, the judge is, depends on what day it is. Oh, <laughs> well, Jesus, every day is the same. We find that, unlike in the courts, you know, uh, unlike in the courts of our land, uh, you you ought to say there. Uh, the laws will prevail, and mercy is pretty unsure, but you might. In the throne of grace with our Lord, you, you can be sure of mercy. That is where the confidence is. That is where, if you want to come before God and, and, and plead for not getting punishment, do it by means of the law, nothing. Do it by means of the throne of grace. Come asking for mercy and you can be sure of that. That's where our confidence. So, Hebrews 4 is telling us, come before God and ask for mercy and everything's good. Everything's good. Matthew 9, when Jesus departed from there, we got two blind men. What did they do? They cried out, Son of David, have mercy upon us. Um, uh, Going to Matthew 20, we see these same ones, Have mercy, O Lord, Son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they ought to be quiet. They cried out all the more, Have mercy. What happens? Um, They're not done. We're coming for mercy. Oh, quit doing that mercy thing. No, that's what we do. Um... A woman of Canaan comes before and have mercy, O Lord. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Uh, this crying out for mercy is always one in which Jesus loves to hear that. The blind man who's crying out for mercy, they tell him to be quiet. Jesus says, bring that guy to me. Bring him to me. Bring him before the throne of grace. Anyone asking for mercy, he's coming my way. Um, and there's going to be a blotting out of the trans uh, of the transgressions. Redeem me. Be merciful to me. Luke 18. Uh, they warned him, don't. They cried out all the more. Uh, he asked them, what do you want to do? They asked to receive sight. He gave them their sight. Tells them that is by their trust, their faith in his mercy, uh, that they have been saved, that they have been made well. Um, they receive their sight, they end up following him, glorifying God, and all the people then gave praise to God. This looks like our worship. 
we come asking for mercy. We join together with others. Um, the Lord promises and answers our prayer. That's what we receive. Lord of mercy. Then shall the Gloria in excelsis be chanted, except in penitential seasons when it shall be omitted. The Gloria in excelsis, glory be to God on high, uh, is that which is considered the greater doxology. Uh, if the glory be to the Father and to the Son and the Holy Spirit, it expands it. It's bigger. It's, it's, it's better. Um, it's chanted pretty well every Sunday, except in penitential seasons, uh, things like during Lent or Holy Week. Uh, on your sheet. Oh, I didn't give you the next one, did I? That's all right. I'm gonna push forward. No, we don't know. You know, I didn't. I didn't give it to you. Let's see here. Oh, I've got it on mine. All right, I'll print it off for you next time. What do we have? Um, we've entered into God's house, we've asked God for mercy, and then there is the response. Glory be to God on high, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Where does it come from? Luke chapter 2, verse 14. What is that? Proclamations from the angels. It is the announcement of the angels. What are they announcing? The Son of God has taken on human flesh and he has appeared. Here is Jesus, true God and true man. Could that be the answer to our prayer for mercy? Angels seem to think so. <laughs> um, who gets to chant this? You started out. I started out. I got the first part. How come I get to do the first part? Prima Donna, huh? <laughs> because you're taking the place of the angels being the messenger of God. Bingo. Bingo. Um, I am the messenger. I am the angel. I am announcing the good news. What happens when the angel, and there was a single angel, that announced the good news, then all of a sudden, the heavenly host together all joined together. So what's going to happen? I'm going to announce the good news um, as, as, as the Old Testament, uh, the, the word, the Hebrew word for angel in the Old Testament, Melech, Melechi. Um, uh, anyway, is 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 the angel? Uh, my mother named me after an angel. <laughs> it worked out, didn't it? Uh, Mikael, Michael, a Melech, an angel. We're going to start the thing, and then you're going to join in together <coughs> in singing. This. Uh, Rachel, do you have a hand? I was going to say, in the scriptures, isn't angel used also for pastors sometimes? It or is. Or <clears throat> it is, absolutely. It really means message, doesn't it? And that's all it means. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, all right, so we've got this hymn of praise. We've got this uh, uh, glory in the highest. We're going to have to take a look at Luke 2.14 uh, and see as well. Um, Luke 2, 13 to 14, Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Uh, as we go on, there is praise, there is things in the middle section, and there seems to be three parts. That shouldn't surprise us. Um, but this Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, takes away the sin of the world, receive our prayer, um, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, saying, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, we see the connection with that as well, so we'll need to pull that out. When we get to the third section, um, I would kind of expect it to almost be addressed to the 
uh, Holy Spirit. It isn't, but it is addressed to a high praise of the Lord, and then it does mention, Thou only, O Christ, with the Holy Ghost. And so we see the Father, the Son, uh, the Holy Ghost, as it is uh, uh, spoken of uh, with this. So I got 953. Um, A little Luther would always be in order. Uh, Genesis 17, verse 17. Luther is teaching about Abraham and Sarah. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And so God said, Yep, you're going to have a child. And he laughs. You know, wow, this is uh, something. This passage, Luther said, is full of emotion. It is an outstanding example of faith. For this reason, I shall be unable to treat it as it deserves. To me, indeed, it seems that Christ had this very passage in mind when he said, Abraham saw my day and was glad. Uh, Jesus talked about, oh, Abraham knew I was coming. When God promised him, that you're going to have a child, and through you will come the Savior. Finally, says, this is going out. Abraham falls to the ground and laughs. This, as Christ explains in John 8, is the gesture of a heart that exults and overjoys, overflows with joy. For now at last he is sure that he will be the father, and Sarah will be the mother of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, through whom salvation and blessing will come to the entire world. All of a sudden, you know, you've heard me go through Genesis and say, hey, this isn't just morality. This is about the Savior is to come. Ah, it's Jesus. The same thing you have with the Luke 2, uh, um, which, which finally, it's in the coming into human flesh, the Savior, and we go, that's it. That ought to exalt us in just the highest uh, praise. We praise thee. We bless thee. We worship thee. We glorify thee. We give thanks to thee for thy great... I mean, you, you kind of go, you guys are like crazy about this guy. You guys are like over the top. You know, um, I, 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 I've, I've seen... Uh, uh, let's see. I've seen... Yeah, I've never seen Lutherans get so excited before. That's, I mean, that's what's going on. Uh, um but I think Luther is right. Although we have the word of God in such richness, richness, our hearts are nevertheless harder than an anvil. And like rocky soil, keep the root of the word without sap and fruit, without the saintly patriarchs, marveled at this inexpressible benevolence of God to the point of being overcome. I myself, I myself feel in me this hardness of heart. You know, we ought to be just uh, uh, over the top. But he, Luther says, no, you know, I hate it. I also offer prayers against it every day. Keep telling myself, don't, you know, look at the words. Get excited about Christ. Don't take it so. Just as the prophet Isaiah says, it is a people with a heavy heart and with sleeping eyes. So we who have the word in such great richness feel that our ears and our hearts are slow and our eyes are heavy with sleep. Luther says, we've got it all. And yet, we're so worn down. You know, what, what is it? Um, am, I, am I worn down with sickness for a time? Am I worn down just with life? Am I worn down with because I like other things? Um, it's not the fault of God. You know, he has been telling us about how great this is, but we have soundly sleeping eyes and we have dull ears. What happens? We need to continue to be told, ah, it's time to rejoice. We need to, you know, tell Leanne, pull out all the stops, remind us how important. You know, we just got done with our curiae. Let's, let's sing concerning this. Therefore, we should ask God to give us a joyful heart for such joyful promises in order that we too may exult and be glad with saintly Abraham because we are the people of God. But, oh, the wretched and corrupt flesh which restrains the spirit and does not permit us to laugh. If the flesh did not hamper us and we were true Christians, we could sing nothing throughout our entire life but the Magnificat, the Confidimini, the Glory and Excelsis, the Sanctus, etc. 
I, for my part, believe that the saintly patriarch was dazed at first. He was in a state of ecstasy, so to speak, for great joy that he also trembled, but that he then wept for joy until he finally regained his composure, as it were, laughed when at last he felt this joy with a calm heart and a feeling which is a part of eternal life. That we might rejoice in this glory and excelsis. So, um, Luther, in, in many different times, uh, talks about how it is only with the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh that everything comes together. Um, that's where the glory to God uh, in the highest. That's where the answer, if there is a, uh, a, a high point you know, of going up through here, we've now reached it with the Gloria. And we're ready to hear, now that Christ has taken on human flesh, uh, we're ready to hear the word of God. We're ready to pray. We're ready to receive all of the gifts of his word. If you have a child, you have Grace Lynn, she's beside you. This is the point that you say, it's Christmas. This is the Christmas part of the liturgy. This is where... We're talking about the angel. Glory to God in the highest. This is Jesus took on human flesh. Aha! Um, this is where everything comes to its its fulfillment. Uh, so, that's what we have with, with the Gloria. Um, I'm going to come back and, and explicate just a little bit more uh, of it. Uh, this Gloria... Uh, first used probably by 30, um, not till 600 years later was it regularly used in the church. Um, but it goes back uh, I, probably even in uh, parts of it to the 4th century in the Eastern Church as well. It is omitted during Advent, Gesema, and Lenten seasons. <coughs> Similar to a lot of things that go away and then come back. Um, it draws your attention uh, to it. It makes you long for that thing which is is missing. Uh, if it's not regularly there, you're not going to notice that it's gone. Uh, that's why it has to be there invariably the rest of the part of the year uh, so that you notice uh, when it is gone. Questions? Yes, Alita. Some churches, the first part of that is sung very loudly, you know. It's, okay, and then when you get to, oh Lord, the only God, Son of Jesus Christ, the volume goes down. I've been there, and then for that only our holy, the volume goes back up. Correct, mm-hmm. correct. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, um, and I didn't spend, you know, but you're right. The the the, uh, the organ and and the way it is played, it kind of emphasizes those those things. Perfect, perfect. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we worship you not only each day uh, with our prayers, but also on Sundays. We ask, dear Lord, that you might continue to teach our dull and sleepy eyes so that we might see uh, the great gifts that you are given, the mercy that comes um, from knowing our Savior Jesus Christ in human flesh. Uh, the one who takes away the sin of the world. In his name we pray. Amen.